EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the latest edition of the EST podcast, the podcast for the established church. We are here for you and uh, we're grateful that you're listening. We've got a special show today. I have my good friend, not in studio, via Skype, which we've had a little issues here, but we, we think we've got it figured out. And here he is, the one and only W. Jordan Richmond. Have I told you how much I like Skype? I love <laughs> Skype. Oh, man. Jordan is the worship pastor at uh, Idlewild Baptist Church in Lutz, Florida. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he's, got a, he's got a lot of different things he does, including uh, leading worship there. He's got an album that's out. Jordan, how can, uh, how can people pick up your album? What, what, what can they do? Well, if they are feeling incredibly generous and want to give me their money, they can buy it off of iTunes. But if they just want to listen to it for free, they can go to Spotify. What's the name, what's the name of the album? Uh, I, I had an EP that was self-titled, and then my wife and I did a Christmas project, and then a, a even smaller EP most recently called Praise God. All right. Well, guys, well, Jordan's gracious enough to give us his time, so go go check him out either on Spotify or iTunes or Google Play, which would be an even better option because I know how much you love uh, the Android and Google uh, universe, Jordan. I, I know, you you're, know you're a big fan. I uh I am shamelessly devoted to the safe walled garden of the Apple universe. Mm. If you want, if you just want to keep propping up the uh, the monopoly of Google, so be it. I know that's kind of kind of your thing, Jordan. Jordan and I go way back, and uh, so does our um, friendly feud over Google products yes. versus. Uh, versus Apple products. But we let won't your go listeners there. be the judge. Sam. We won't go there because that's not the point of this episode. All right, so Jordan's expertise is in the the field of worship, this uh leading worship. He's written a book on 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 worship. Um so I I've got the I'm just itching to ask you this question and and just learn from you and soak in your wisdom, Jordan. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that that was a poor phrase. Uh, but I, I think we all know what what I mean there. <laughs> Why are people so hypersensitive and especially hypercritical about music? That could be any music, I mean, any genre and any place, but specifically the church. I mean, what's going on there? Why are people so hypersensitive and hypercritical about music in the church? Well, I I would just say uh, you're the lead pastor, so I thought you would have an answer for that. I'm interviewing you. That's, oh, that's the point. I'm glad to give – I have lots of opinions, and I'm glad to share them. <laughs> Even things that I know nothing about, I'm glad to make something up. But, <laughs> Why are people hypersensitive? Yeah, but about, this is all about, about learning from church. you. So tell us all tell right. us what's going on there. Well, here, here's a thought. So Sunday morning or whenever you have your services – is the only time during the week that you get hundreds or even possibly thousands of people 
together for corporate worship. And during, let's say, an hour-long service, you might have 20 minutes that's devoted to the music slash artistic creative time. Not saying that a sermon can't be artistic or creative, but generally you look at the music as kind of an immersive artistic experience. So because of the nature of art and music, which tends to be emotional, I, I think you're, you're just going to uh, touch on people's nerve points right away. Add to that, uh, obviously we're here in church because we believe something to be true. We, we believe the gospel. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And we want to have proper theology. We all like to think that we all have the proper theology. And so uh, I think that when it comes to anything in church, many of us are, are hypersensitive to making sure that whatever we sing, whatever we speak, not only does it not sound like it's off, but it also can't feel as though it's off. And, that, and that's the thing. Whereas in a sermon, you don't feel like it's either on or off. You think it's on or off. But during the music, you just, people feel it differently. So that, that's why I think there's a hypersensitivity to it. So there's, there's more feelings attached to, to music. So Definitely. Um, like with architecture, for instance. I mean, people, uh, people will walk into a church, they think it needs to look a certain way, but, but people don't tend to um, get so wound up about architectural features in the church, even though I would argue that that's just as much art as it, as it is anything else. Hmm. Um, maybe not in its purest form, um, but still artistic and creative in many ways. Uh, but you just don't hear a lot of people saying, I'm going to leave the church because it doesn't have the flying buttress. I mean, you just, you just don't get that. I am a big fan of the flying buttress, even the buttresses that don't fly. That is, that is the only architectural feature of a church that I know. <laughs> uh, and I have no idea why I used that. Well, it's the only one I know, so that's why I used it. Uh, Sam, how are, the, how are the buttresses of West Bradenton? You know, we... Um, we have very few of them, unfortunately. We don't. We, we we need more. That's a shame. We need more. We all do. But you know, people, I, I would. Say, people don't get work as worked up over, uh, say, architectural features. Do or, you think that's because architecture is a thing that you that you see? You can always close your eyes, and the world goes away, but you can't close off your ears. And so, music, music has a way of hitting. It hits the auditory part of your brain, whereas architecture is only going to hit the visual cortex. Sorry to nerd out on you right there um but it is interesting too that as people listen to music most of most of the time that music is associated with imagery nowadays like we we consume uh orchestral music within the context of a movie or in the context of a video game so we, we've kind of linked the visual and the and the auditory yeah and i just think i think music tends to be something that um influences more than than other art forms it, it is it is arguably um it's up there with as, as far as and, and i think of my own life uh, you know when i think of art forms in specific times of my life that have been influential i could point to a couple of paintings here and there or something but it's just not like you know um music because you can with the way we are now i mean we've both got earbuds in as we're sitting here on this podcast talking to each other i mean take music wherever you go it's 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 not like you're often lugging around you know uh books of say you know paintings and things like that so i, I think i think it's it's more you use the word immersive it's also more immersive just in the culture in general people people it's also it's also more themselves more to basic it. you know you can you can be in the same living room that you've lived in since you were a kid 
but you know grandma sits down at the piano and, and plays something and all all of a sudden the whole the whole room seems to change because music has come on whereas you you hang a piece of art on the wall it's like yeah that's that's nice and and maybe i'm just revealing my own bias i'm, I'm an auditory learner uh i enjoy listening over reading and so you know may, maybe other people would would disagree with what i'm saying all right so i gotta ask you this question um I have been in some worship experiences, not the ones at my church. Of course where, not. <laughs> where literally you walk in and they hand you earplugs. Ooh. <laughs> I, we've all, yes. you've heard the rumors, all right, uh-huh. for our listeners, you've heard the rumors. Those churches do exist. They are out there. Uh-huh. How loud is too loud? For, you don't, don't get too technical because I don't want to bore people to death with this, but I mean, w- what is it about? I mean, if you're handing out earplugs in a worship service, I, I'm I'm just going to go out there and say, it's probably too loud. But how loud is how? What, and it doesn't depend on instruments because I know when 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 the organ gets played. I mean, that's one of the loud, you know, electric organ in particular is about as loud as it gets. But what what is it about the? Why do people complain about it being too loud? How how loud is too loud? Uh, too loud is when you no longer like it. So there's, there's good loud, there's bad loud, bad loud can be really soft (laughs) when it, when it sounds bad, it's like, eh, I just don't want to listen to this anymore. Uh, I happen to be one of those who thinks, especially in church service, what you really want to hear are drums, bass, and vocals and everything else is on the chopping block, but you need to have a, you need to have a solid bass foundation and bass for the most part can be as loud as you want it to be because your ears are not sensitive to bass frequencies. You can't get hearing damage. Somebody's going to prove me wrong, but you, you can't get hearing damage from really loud bass the same way that you would from really loud high end, just the way that our, our ear is made. Uh, but in general, I would, Technically, you can listen to something in the mid '90s for an extended period of time, and not now, I love damage. I love the mid '90s because that was the great era of grunge rock. Is Local that H, bro. Local, Local H. H. Local H is the most underrated band of all time. Um, you're talking decibels, though, not 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 1990s. I'm assuming. Well, it, it depends on your perspective, Sam. But <laughs> but yes. So. I, I, there, there are apps that are out there. Um, I guess you can even get them on your phone that, that kind of clues you in. So you're saying anything in the mid-90 decibel range is just, it's just a little too loud. Yeah, but it's so subjective. And I, the, I, I don't think that there is like this perfect range that you can just say, hey, if, as long as you keep it here, you're safe. Because, you know, take, take Idlewild, for example. So we've got a, a full orchestra. And on a given day, you might have, literally, you may have 10 trumpets. Well... You could be in the in the mid '80s, and trump that many trumpets in a room is just going to overwhelm the sound, and anybody could listen and go, "That's that's too loud," even though it's not technically causing any damage. Generally, though, kind of like getting back to your point about churches that hand out earplugs. Generally, what you're going to find there is that that is a modern worship experience. They are not concerned with the. Uh, established church traditions or choir organ orchestra they've they've probably got massive subs and an incredible concert-esque experience and they are going to be unapologetically loud because if you you think about like a hillsong united concert man that thing is running at 110 decibels clearly uncomfortable uh for a church service because you got to think 
fans are coming to a concert. They're coming and expecting that. And a lot of people are not walking into a church service necessarily expecting a concert-like experience. You've been listening to EST, a conversation about the established church with our hosts, Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We'll be back shortly after a brief message from our sponsors. Hey, this is Josh. I wanted to take a few moments just to talk to you about one of our EST sponsors, Trained Up. As a pastor, you know that you need to train your volunteers. You also know that that is one of the hardest things possible to do. Trying to get their schedules in order, trying to get everybody to show up, planning and organizing the whole thing could take a lot of your pastoring time away from you. With this resource, Trained Up has not only cut the amount of training meetings in half, it's also significantly increased participation by up to 40%. And that's a win for everybody. Not to mention that Trained Up already has courses built in with just about every ministry area you can think of. So even if you don't know what to cover, they've got you covered. And now for a limited time only, Trained Up is offering a 50% discount on their multi-ministry package for two years. Go to trainedup.org to get started today. Thank you to our sponsors who help further the mission of EST. If you'd like to partner with us and have us spotlight your ministry, go to estchurch.com for more information. Now, let's get back to the show. So, in my where does where does congregational singing fit into all this? Because that that seem, there seems to be a renewal, at least in the last two to three or four years. I, I, I'm hearing more people, particularly the Gettys, talk about okay, let's get back to congregational singing, which in my view could be contemporary, modern, you know, ancient, traditional, whatever. I mean, you just want people to sing. So uh, where, where is this idea of congregational singing and in, 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 in worship and in, in what, what trends are you seeing there? Man, well, I, I think it's biblical. I, I, I think that when you see especially those passages in Revelation where, you know, all, all things are settled and you've, every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, you have these these massive congregations and they're worshiping the Lord together. So everybody's involved, everybody's engaged, everybody's participating, everybody's all in, they're feeling it, they're thinking it, and they're celebrating it. And so, yeah, that is the goal. Whereas a lot of times what you see is a church service where most people have hands in their pockets, they're, they're not engaged, they're either watching a very modern performance on the stage or they're watching a very traditional performance on the stage, but they're not participating. So I think really the issue, and man, Sam, my, my pastoral heart is how do I get, in my case, thousands of people to get it and to buy in and to participate in it. And uh, I, I think that is kind of the holy grail of any of us who are involved in crafting a worship experience. So one thing, one thing my worship pastor did this just this last Sunday is um, we're our church, West Brighton Baptist, is pretty good about congregational singing, pretty good about um, corporate worship. Uh, I think a lot, most of our people, their hearts are in the right place. Um, we've got a lot of people come from different backgrounds, all over, the, you know, all, all over the nation, all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, and, and so sometimes people are a little confused as to when do I clap? When do I raise my hands? You know, when, when do I do what? And, and, and it's understandable. I, I, I would be, too, if I was sitting out there in, in the congregation. But one thing uh, my worship pastor did uh, this last Sunday is he told everyone, he just said, all right, everyone, raise your hands. Let's all raise our hands. It was a, it was a part of the verse in one of the songs that talked about raising hands. So he said, let's just do this. He stopped the song. 
kind of taught people, you know, hey, let's do this together. And literally everybody in the congregation, at least in that service, raised their hands. It was it's just a really neat mm, moment. Yeah. Talk about a little bit how you incorporate teaching into leading worship, because in my view, you are a worship pastor. You, you should be teaching worship. So what what do you do to help teach worship at Idlewild? Yeah, wow. Well, I, I'm actually really uh, inspired and encouraged to hear that story of what your worship pastor did, um, because he, he was essentially acting as a leader, and he was telling people essentially what what his and I, I would say, uh, by way of connection to you, what your expectation of the congregation was during that service. You you were, you made it clear, or he made it clear, and the people responded to that. Uh, I've I've definitely tried that at different times. Obviously, when we're talking about the established church, we have to. There's a little bit of sensitivity to people who might have grown up where lifting hands was not uh, an, an expression that was normative. And, and so I, I think there's some, some sensitivity on the parts of some people. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that, I think that one of the things I think that we're lacking in the established church, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit is what are we actually expecting of our congregation when they sit in a worship experience? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great point because a lot of churches, you know, um, have set those expectations over decades. You know, they've they've got they've they've been. It's, a, it's a, their culture. It's a culture. At, 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 you know, if if you've been around 100, 150 years, which I know mm-hmm. many of our listeners have, you know, they pastor and they teach and they lead in these churches that are 150 years old. Let's say the last 50 years, you've kind of had a way of doing things. That's two or three generations. Yeah, that doesn't just change overnight. Nope. And so you do have to manage the expectations of people. And so if you're in one of those churches where you know, lifting up your hands or clapping, you know, and maybe people aren't, you know, they're not mean about it. They don't, they don't think ill of you for asking them to do it. They've just never done it. Their parents have never done it and their grandparents have never done it. And, you know, you want to lead them to be a little more demonstrative in worship. You know, that's a little different than say a church plant where you're creating the culture. Um, but I still think it's worth the effort to lead people to be more demonstrative in worship as opposed to less less demonstrative in worship. I think that's a good thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, your church is going to be the church that's got everyone, you know, just cheering and hollering and, you know, dancing in the aisles. Uh, there are churches that do that, but maybe your church doesn't do that. But I think it's worth the while to, to lead people to be more demonstrative from wherever you are. So are there ways that you're doing that? Are there things that you've seen that are successful in, you know, pulling out of people a little more worship in them? Yeah, so things that, that, I've, that I find immediately successful is hymns. So if you, if you ever want people just to participate more and sing more, choose a hymn that is established and well-known. We were just planning out uh, an upcoming service, and we were talking about that, that very thing just a few hours ago. Uh, secondly, you can get away with anything when you involve kids. So if you, if if you really like, if you want to get people to lift their hands in the air and you're in a, a little stiffer scenario, just put a children's choir up there and choose a song that you want to introduce and everybody will, will do it just because it's kids. And actually that's really beautiful because, you know, if you think about it, grandparents, 
will do things that they never did in their generation just because their grand they see their grandkids doing it, and that's that's actually very beautiful. I I I'm not knocking that at all. Uh, hey, can I throw a concept at you? It's it, you're the one being interviewed. Well, I'm I'm going to interview you now. No, I'm oh kidding. gosh. Okay, so so here's so here's my thought. What if? And I want to I want to phrase this carefully, but so you walk into a worship experience. You are leaving behind the the normalcy of of your your everyday life, and I, okay. So I'm just going to say it. I actually think that the worship service, in a way, is a type of escape. You are, you are escaping from the minutiae of everyday life, and you are joining hundreds or thousands of other people, and you're thinking about things that you might not be thinking about with regularity uh, from your, your day-to-day life. Okay, now I know that people probably hear escape and go, no, because what we're trying to do uh, in worship is trying to uh, ground them in what's really true. But here's the thing. I think the the normalcy of life or sin that we struggle with or, you know, I gossiped earlier or whatever, that's actually the thing that distracts us from the real thing that Jesus wants for us, which is to find life in him. So in a way, when we when we come in and we all gather together, what we're trying to do is to lift people from the mundane, from the normalcy, and to help them to help them see Jesus and Jesus' life in a new and fresh way. What do That's you think so, about that? Um it's beautiful. I don't know exactly what you mean, but uh, but it was it was <laughs> well, I, it was so beautifully said. I, here's I, I think. Let me see if I can sum up what you're saying uh, in a, in a word: acute. Um, worship tends to be more acute in power, particularly the music portion of mm. uh, of of the service, and also the sermon. So think of like a devotional that you have every day. That's more yeah. longitudinal. It's something that you know, is built, hopefully built into the rhythm of, of, of your day. You know, you have a devotional time, it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, you know, depending on how spiritual you are, I guess. But a worship service is, there's a specialness to it. It's acute. It's at a specific moment. It lasts about an hour. You know, if you, if you're really, you know, on top of it, you're there every week, but most people are there every other week. So there's, you know, there's, they should be there every week, but most people are there every other week. So there's an acuteness to that worship experience. I think I know what you mean by escape. Oh yeah. Okay. So like you, it's, it's a, it's a moment in a person's Uh week or a month that is just powerful. That's unlike anything else. It's It's outside of the normalcy of life. I get what you mean by that. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think this would give us, get us to that, the issue of production and presentation and excellence and the effectiveness of art. So let's say you go to see a movie and it's a really bad story, but the, the actors are great and Hans Zimmer worked really hard to, to rescue it through his music, but nobody's convincing anybody. And so it gets a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes and you can sniff it from a mile away. The story's really poor or the production value is really bad. But then there are those movies that you go to and like the actors are, they, they capture the character and the music's just glorious. And it's touching on common human experience and the story's beautifully written and the conflict resolves properly. And 
you're in tears and you're laughing and you compare like, it to your own life. Like Blazing Saddles. That, you know, I, I am just, I'm speechless right now because that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, Blazing Saddles. If, and by the way, listeners, if you have not watched that movie, <laughs> that is your homework is to go watch the, the one of, one of the greatest films that has ever ever been produced. Um, I'm, I'm not going to start quoting lines from that movie. Uh, the dude the abides. <laughs> oh, that's the big Lebowski. The dude oh. abides. That's that's not. That, you're, you're completely. I mean, those are decades apart. Um, oh, all right. So okay. So there's an acuteness to worship. There's a sensitivity to worship. People can be hypercritical about the music. How do you respond to complaints? Because I know you get complaints. Um, I, you know, on occasion they come up in, in our church. Our people are pretty good about it. Um, but what do you do? How do you, as a leader, whether you're a lead pastor or worship pastor, how do you prepare your soul for the, my ears hurt? I mean, because you're going to get it. I mean, if you're a worship pastor, you're going to get that complaint. Whatever whatever it was, it was too loud or you just they just didn't like it. My ears hurt. You, you messed my head up today. How do you, How do you respond to that? Well, I ask myself if there's any truth in what they're saying. I actually just got a text about that. A guy that plays with me, and he texts me, he goes, I hate to tell you this, but the mix was really bad. And I could take that, and I could I could get all offended and defend our team and all that. But I just said, hey, can I, can I give you a call? It would help me if you told me specifically what it is that you were noticing. And so, especially if it's a person who you would judge to be more helpful, you can uh, you can walk through those conversations with them. Uh, nothing can prepare you for criticism. No one likes criticism, and so you don't feel bad <laughs> if you get criticized and it hurts because that's what criticism does. But also recognize, um, especially to the worship leaders that I'm talking to, uh, you have room to grow. I've got a lot of room to grow. Uh, we're, we're not, even though we're, we're paid to do what we do, we are not infallible, uh, professionals here. So, you know, take what you did last Sunday, watch it, listen to it, consider if the person who's criticizing is speaking for other people as well. And they very well may be, or ask them what you could do to make it better. It doesn't mean that you'll automatically do it. I mean, we're considering, you know, the, the impressions of, of several people, several hundred people. Um, but don't, don't dismiss it outrightly just because it's, it's a criticism. So I, I got one more thing, and we're, we're about out of time here. Um, the, in your book, uh, what's the name of your book? Leading Worship Today? Is that Leading Worship Today? Which Leading Worship Today. It's by... no longer today. It was it was yesterday. <laughs> well, you you wrote it a year or two ago. Um, Leading Worship still Today. Today. Yeah, it's it's still good. In your book, one of the themes in your book, which I find just fascinating and it's so helpful, is that worship is leading people to say yes to God. Mm-hmm. Um, what? I mean, that's just just such a great line. And so if you're a pastor or teacher or a worship pastor, you can totally steal that. That's one of the best succinct definitions of worship I've ever heard. Um, what, but what do you mean that by that? As a worship pastor, if you're going to lead people to say yes to God, just, just take a couple of minutes and explain further what you mean by that. So the gospel is Jesus Christ giving us his life, making us like him. 
Now, how do I most experience that? By walking with him, by looking more like Jesus, by saying no to me, by saying yes to God, no to my own deathly sinful desires and saying yes to him, saying no to the smallness of how I envision my life and saying yes to the bigness of what he would want to do in my life. It is so much bigger than 20 minutes of music on a Sunday morning. It's so much bigger than my own personal private devotional time. It's 24 hours a day. And it's it's almost a little bit of a buzzword to say that worship is a is a lifestyle. I, I guess it, the example that I use in the book is like, if God says, uh, get up in the middle of the night, get on your knees and worship me. Yes. If God says, go talk to this person. Yes. God says, give more. Yes. If God says, put your hands in the air and worship because somebody behind you needs to see it. Yes. If God says, shut up, don't say anything right now. Yes. And I know that's incredibly subjective, but that's what relationships are. Uh, relationships are, are messy and moment by moment. And I think that's what we are called to have with God. And at, at least in my own life, I tend to get in the way of that a lot. And, uh, but saying yes to God, whether it's on stage or in a church service or driving down the road or when I'm watching Netflix, when I say yes to God, it's always life-giving. And when I say no, it's always painful. It always hurts the relationship. And so if worship is primarily relational, then I need to be hypersensitive you know, to come full circle, not to the music, not to the sermon. I need to be hypersensitive to God. And if, and if I, as a worship leader can just help people think about their own relationship with God and being sensitive to him and saying yes to him. Not saying yes to me. Not saying, boy, Jordan, the songs you chose were the best ever. But saying yes to God. Man, I, I would have done my job. Well, that's good stuff, man. And we are out of time. I want to thank all of you for uh, for listening this episode and uh, hope to be back with uh, Micah and Josh soon. Uh, I know that they are the two that you really listen to, not me. Um, But, Jordan, you are a great replacement. Appreciate you being on the show with us. So to the rest of you, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to EST. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.